Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to episode number 151 of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, brought to you by me, your host, Mac B. the Wolf. And I will be joined, as usual, by my partner in crime and co-host, Gary Action Jackson, from the East Coast of the United States. And we appreciate you listening to our 150th show with Steve Kilby of The Church. Great stories from Steve, great candor, very open, a great interview. We had a lot of fun talking to him, and we hope you're out there trying to check him out on the Hypnagogue Tour, which is currently ongoing in the U.S., the second leg, and they're going around the southeast about this time, if you're listening to this in the first couple days of release. So please check out the new album by the church, The Hypnagogue, and see them on the tour if you possibly can. And this week, we wanted to dive way back into the vaults. You know, think about something that we both liked from back in the day that we could dive into, take a big bite out of. I realize we don't do a lot of live albums on this show. And some people might say it's cheating. It's kind of like a de facto greatest hits in some ways. But a good live album can really introduce you well to a band, get to know bigger hits, get to know some of their deep cuts or whatever was big on that particular tour. And because Rush played such an outsized portion of our time together because it was the only show that we ever camped out for. It was the big first arena show. I guess it's not true. We saw Van Halen first together, but we saw Rush together in the arena show on the Roll of Bones tour in early 1992. And for me, it was really life-changing. I never missed a Rush tour after that. They're the band that I've seen the most. And so we decided, let's try a show of hands, which was their 1989 live album, the third of their fourth series of live albums in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, where they had a pattern. They would do four studio albums, and then they would do a live album to celebrate that work. Most famously, it was All the World's a Stage in the 70s after the first four albums, coming off the strength of 2112. Exit Stage Left was coming off the strength of Moving Pictures and that section of the Rush timeline. So this was really the 80s album. And yes, 80s Rush is much maligned by the hardcore fans. A lot of people say it's not proggy enough. It's not hard rock enough. There's too many synths in there. It minimizes what Alex Lifeson is doing. But if you're going to celebrate their whole catalog, it's an important bit of it. And so this takes kind of some of the best bits and pieces out of it, introduces you to some of the deep cuts, and the sound is crisp. It's clear. Their playing is fantastic. And so this is that third stage in the 80s. Of course, different stages would be their fourth at the end of the 90s after Presto, Roll the Bones, Counterparts, and Test for Echo. So we thought this would be a fun one to do. Do a live album, do Rush, which we haven't done in a bit here, and that's what this episode is all about. Now, before we get into the album, a little bit of business to take care of. As usual, we like to mention that we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a network of about 100 different music-related shows. Really is something in there for everybody's different genres all across the board. Check out PantheonPodcast.com or follow at Pantheon Pods. But we have to give a shout out to our sponsor, rarevinyl.com. And they're based in the UK, folks, but they ship all over the world, been doing it for 40 years. And if you use the code UGLY, you can save 10% off your purchase. Now, it's a one-time code, so don't just go there and get like one Rush single. Go get that super hard-to-find Rush import LP or first edition or whatever it might be you're looking for. Doesn't have to be Rush. could be anything, but they've got a great Rush selection, certainly some a show of hands options there for you and all sorts of different stuff from the 80s if that's your rush era if not they've really got something from all of them but go to rarevinyl.com use the code ugly they take great care of your stuff they'll get it to you anywhere in the world save yourself 10 percent with code ugly from rarevinyl.com now back to a show of hands 
for whatever reason, this was just a go-to for me for the longest time. If I wanted to hear something cool, something a little mellow, hear a little bit of Rush, I would pop this on over most any of the studio albums, even the ones that I definitely love more than this. I just think it's a nice cross of some of the different stuff they were do, some of the different sounds they could make. It featured a lot of their bigger hits from the techno-filled 80s that you could also hear on their greatest hit, Chronicle. So what can I say? It just hits me right in the right spot. And I've dragged Jackson along for the ride. So why don't we go ahead and jump to it? Before it turns 35, we are doing Rush's A Show of Hands right here on The Wolf. I think we, uh, right, I think man. we might have to flip the script on this one, because what on yeah, Rush? because you mentioned that this was a, uh, you had forgotten how big of a record this was to you. Yes, and I'm going to tell you that I mean I've listened to it, but I think this obviously had a bigger impact on you than it did on me. Well, uh, yes, I mean I, I'm, I'm fairly sure that I got this record when we were together. Okay. Uh, and then, but we probably listened to Chronicle and, and Roller Bones cause it was out, you know, at the time or whatever that right. we lived together. But then in the years that passed after we lived together for years, this was my go-to Rush album. In fact, it wasn't just the go-to Rush album. It was one of my top five, just go-tos. Like I want to put on some music. What do I want to listen to? And for a long time, this was like one of the one of the ones I just went to all the time. Oh, okay. Interesting. Because this is a very divisive period in Russia's catalog. Yes, it is. It really is. And Uh, and in hearing this, going through this record again, I can see why there is if you don't like the synth part, you are not going to have a good time with this record. Well exactly. Yeah. It's 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 basically a testament to Rush in the eighties. And a lot of people got turned off by Rush in the eighties. Mm-hmm but we're going to get into that before we get too deep into it. And I, I really want to read this nice email that we got from Simon C in England. And he did give me permission to read. He's, he's kind of keeping it, you know, on the down low with the Simon C thing, but sure. uh, he, he lives in uh, Romney Marsh in Kent, but grew up in Stevenage in, uh, in Hertfordshire. So if anybody knows anyone like that named Simon C, then you know exactly who we're talking about. But we love to get, messages from our listeners whether it's in the form of reviews or stuff on social media or you could send us emails to uglyamericanwerewolf at gmail.com and we always try to get back to them but you know as people who listen to the show know i lived in the uk so we do a lot of the dichotomy between bands that make it big in the uk but not in america or bands that make it in america but maybe not so well in the uk and though yes and we did that 90125 show a little while back which was pretty well received. Yes has obviously been popular on both sides of the Atlantic. However, in 90125 was a huge success in America, like multi-platinum, owner of a lonely heart went to number one, not just on the rock charts, but on the billboard, you know, hot 100 or whatever. And a lot of that was because of MTV, but they didn't have MTV in England in 1983 Mm. and 1984. So Simon wrote this nice letter, and I thought that I would share it with you and the listeners here. Hi, guys. I've been listening to the show for about a year now here in the UK, and I particularly enjoy your take on albums by British artists. I find it very interesting to hear your perception of how albums and artists were received in the UK, which is often very different from my own experience (laughs) at the time. 
I also like to hear about your own experiences growing up in the U.S., discovering these albums for the first time and how it contrasts significantly with what it was like here in Great Britain. Now, your episode on 90125 album really highlighted some of these differences, which I thought would be good to share here with you. So we get into it. Firstly, we had no music television in the 80s other than the Top of the Pops, which was on for 30 minutes every Thursday evening. So our exposure to music videos was very limited, which is totally different from our experience growing up, mm-hmm. right? And, and Neil from Def Lep Pod used to tell us, look, if you don't get in the top 40, we don't hear it and we don't see your video, and so it's not a thing. And yeah, I think Owner of a Lonely Heart went to number one in America. It went to like, I don't know, 36 or something like that, you know, 30s, in and out of the top 40 here in, in, uh, in the UK. He goes on, there were some TV shows which featured live music performance, such as Old Grey Whistle Test and The Tube, which brought the total output of music on UK television to about two hours a week, which is less than two hours a day that I would watch MTV back in the day, right? Okay. Secondly, which is odd because most of the bands on there were British, but anyway. Secondly, there were no specialist rock radio stations here, and mainstream radio only played single releases. We had a rock show on Radio 1 on Friday evening where you might hear new releases by rock artists and an occasional album track when a new album came out, but that was it. It was interesting to hear how you both knew so many tracks on only one, two, five before you owned the record. I had only ever heard Owner of a Lonely Heart, which, although not a big hit record, did get some radio play at the time. Finally, <laughs> there were no charts re- which reflected airplay, only record sales from selected outlets. Therefore, if a single didn't chart in the first couple of weeks of release, it would not get a top of the pops appearance or any further radio play, so it would often disappear without a trace. I also note the emphasis you place on record sales when talking about album single releases, when here in the UK, we only gauge success based on chart positions and no one ever talks about units sold. And that's interesting to me. Mm, Um, Yeah. And then to to wrap up here, before listening to the episode, I had no idea how successful this album was in the US as we have no information about what was going there at the time. In relation to a point you made during the show about how 70s prog acts fared here in the 80s, I can confirm that it was not particularly well. (laughs) Rick Wakeman famously said that by the end of the 70s, they were about as popular as a fart in an astronaut suit. That sounds like (laughs) grumpy old Wick. (laughs) Despite making some excellent records in the 80s, 90125 included, with the exception of Genesis, who became huge, none of the other prog acts had any major success. And as you suggested, music taste had changed, so they did not attract many new fans, and the older fans were often unhappy with the change in musical direction taken by a lot of 70s artists. But also, by the time 90125 was released in 1983, neo-prog bands, such as Marillion, who we covered with Jimmy mm-hmm. back in the spring, IQ, and Pendragon, were attracting the younger UK prog fans, such as myself, and at the time, the 70s felt like a long time ago. Anyway, I hope this email finds you both well, and I look forward to listening to more future... Oh, no, sorry, not more, because he has good English, because he's English. Look forward to listening to future episodes of Ugly American Werewolf in London. All the best, Simon C. So thank you for that, Simon. And yes, it confirms a lot of what we've learned uh, over the years as far as the difference between growing up in the UK and growing up here in the US back in the day, and how bands fare based on the way the industries work, which is just a little different. Yeah, and how it's distributed also. I mean, I think that in the in the UK for a long time, all they had was the BBC, BBC television and BBC and radio. radio. Mm-hmm. So what yeah, you you only got what they would give you. There was no wacky person doing anything else. It, no wacky DJ or anything who would play deep cuts. So yeah, you were kind of just exposed to what they showed you. That's right. 
So that's it, you know. But now I give the UK credit in that a lot of different variety of things can get into the top 40. I mean, mm-hmm. it was impossible for heavy metal to get into the top 40 in the US back in the day, but it happened in the UK a lot, you know. But you could also have some ska or reggae get in the top 40. You had all sorts of interesting, weird pop acts, some from all over Europe. Whereas U- US, it's it's a lot more straight down the middle. It's like your rock, your R&B, your pop. That's about it, at least certainly in the 80s. Like if you're a country, that's a totally different chart. And we didn't realize how big country was until they started the sound scan, to, mm-hmm. to count the sound scan stuff like in the 90s. And all of a sudden, country stuff's all over the charts. Like what? This stuff actually sells? Like, <laughs> yeah, man, there's a lot of country fans out there, you know? Yeah, I was trying to think. So, especially in the 80s, it was either United States bands, there were bands from the UK, but other than that, I mean, there there maybe were one or two German language, like, novelty hits. Right. I mean, Australia usually gets somebody over at some yeah. point, you know, ACDC Minute Work, that's about it. <laughs> mm. Kylie Minogue, but that's for other reasons. Right, correct. John, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> But yeah, but no, I, we appreciate you listening, Simon. We really do. And we appreciate the email and anybody who has, you know, you can call us out when we're wrong, but you can also kind of point out like, yeah, this is why your perception is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just kind of helps our uh, knowledge and understanding of the way things work in the UK. Because living there for just a few years during the pandemic, it's not the same as growing up there in the 80s. But I got to tell you, although I loved living in London, loved living in England. I'm glad I wasn't there in the 80s because you didn't have MTV, man. You might as well have been in the Stone Age. <laughs> you have to get up and change the channel on the set, you know, like walk over and click, click, click. That's ah, horrible. Yeah, could you imagine that? Like a half an hour a week? I mean, that was half an hour was before you went to school in the morning. And then <laughs> exactly. when you came back, you know, it was half, as much you could get your hands on. Half an hour as you snuck in. No, mom, I'm not watching MTV. I'm watching yeah. uh, the news here. Yeah, she yeah, yeah. In the Just afternoon. For the day. Click, click. Yeah, pour some sugar. No, I'm not listening to Def Leppard, ma. <laughs> do my own work. Yep. I promise. You're not watching that horrible MTV. Oh, no, it's terrible. No. I would never do that. Okay. <laughs> so on with the show, as you may have heard in the opening, we're talking about a band that was very important to both of us, Rush. It was the only band we ever camped out for tickets for. And if you don't know what that is, children, I guess you can Google it. But we did it. To see Rush for the first time. Glad we did. And I'm pretty glad the technology changed or we found a few hacks before technology changed. So we didn't really have to do that again. But yeah, about four in the morning, it was like, hmm, mm-hmm. still uh-huh. here on the concrete it's still awake. sidewalk. Now yeah. it's cold. I'm in Florida and it's cold. What in the world am I doing here? This <laughs> the is beer dumb. ran out hours ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We gave Brendan the car. Why did I give away our car, man? That's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I could just say, hey, Jackson, I'm just going to run home for a minute, go home, sleep till 930, come back. Hey, is it time to get tickets yet? You'd be like, you bastard. <laughs> Hi, I'm Paul Stevenson from Vintage Rock Pod, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. But a couple few reasons why we're doing Rush, a show of hands here. One is because it has been a while since we've done Rush, and, and Rush is a, a band that was important to us. Two is because we rarely ever do live albums. Some people kind of think it's cheating. But this one was big, and when we were interviewing Steve Kilby, and we asked him why he didn't do many live records, he said, well, give me one. Give, give me some live albums that were important. And you mentioned a show of hands. I said, you know what? That's a good that's a good one mm. for us to do. We can do that one. Just kind of put it in the back of my mind. Also, on a technical note, Steve Kilby was a great guest for our 150 episode. So proud to have him on. But because when we had Deborah Bonham and Peter Bullock on, you had a family emergency. Mm. Because we were so early in getting good guests on our show, <laughs> I was so worried that if we say, listen, we have to postpone because of a family emergency, they'd say, ah, whoever these guys are, we gave them a chance. They can't come to the table. Screw them. They'll never get it. I just went ahead and did the interview without you, which mm. I regret, especially after meeting them and seeing how kind they were. And like, they certainly would have rescheduled, I'm sure. Mm. So this is technically your 150th show, <laughs> uh, even though it's the 151st Ugly American Werewolf in London. So I'm like, well, let's do an album that we connect on. But I don't think we connect on it the same way that we might connect on other things. That is true. And the other point you were making that's way too much math for me to do so <laughs> correct I, I really didn't i mean I, I like this album but it sounds like you are way more of a fan of it than i am and and not that i'm not a fan i just i just haven't listened to it as many times as you have but going back to the steve kilby interview he said why why would you do this why would you do a live album what is different about it and this is what well, this is the third rush live album correct and they would do in blocks of four right so they do four records live four records live so this is their i guess fourth stage or third, no, i'm sorry third stage there you go. yeah and so this is this is basically a document of that and for people that have well now unfortunately never got to see rush play live you missed out because it, it's an awesome show the the sound and the the production that they put into it is fantastic and i think this is that what they wanted to do was document that in these live records that's right that's right and yeah like you said it is the third stage they would do four albums and they famously did all the world's a stage after 2112 mm -hmm. uh, and it was big and it was not unlike their buddies kiss who they toured with a lot in the 70s kiss did three albums they didn't really go anywhere and 
then they said, all right, well, let's do a live album, like to really as a testament to our incredible live show. And then mm. boom, you know, it went platinum and double platinum and all that kind of stuff and really changed their fortunes. For Rush, it was, okay, Crest of Steel didn't do very well. You guys need to do something more pop, something we could sell. They say, no, we're going to go even <laughs> proggier, doing 2112, this dystopian future with like aliens and computers and all that stuff. And we'll go down swinging. And if, if it doesn't go anywhere, fine. Then we'll probably quit. But it helped them. They did well. It was big. And then All the World of Stage kind of captured some of that. And so, yes, then it became the pattern for about 30 years, certainly 25 years. They make four studio records, and then they make a live album of, of basically the stuff from those previous four albums. And mm. yes... The 80s were a controversial time for Rush because they weren't the heavy metal or prog act that they were in the 70s. They weren't doing these long, drawn-out things. They were doing tight, poppier stuff, lots of synth. Some of it's programmed for Getty's feet. Some of it he's putting down the bass to play the synthesizers. And I get why some people don't like that. I understand. But to me, even though I love all the stuff from the 70s, to me, the 80s are... They're maligned, and I don't think they should be. I think it's actually a very, very creative period for them. And we talked about on 90125, on, on other albums we've done, as the technology grew and became so much better, Rush experimented with that stuff. They just did. And, and Neil experimented with all the kind of MIDI stuff that he could do with the drums instead of just old-fashioned drums. And they made some great sounds. Some of it's a little dated, I get it, but to me... They were really firing on all cylinders, and they're playing arenas around the world. Correct. And in a testament to Alex Lifeson, he was okay with taking a step back and having the guitar not... I mean, it's still in every song. He's right. still featured in every song. But the guitar riffs take a back seat to more of the synth lead now, and Getty doing both double duty, well, triple duty, actually, of bass, synth, and singing. That's right. Yeah, that's right. No, that that mid range. Mm -hmm. You know, we had Getty's high voice. You got the drums and the bass in the low range, and then Alex kind of fit in that middle part. And now there's a lot of keys in there, and you know, Getty's triggering stuff from his keyboard. Alex is triggering a few things from his. Mm -hmm. Neil's triggering stuff on the drums. So it's just another way to get more sound out of three guys. And okay, so then the other problem too is that. If they, if you keep doing the same thing, people are going to hate you because you never grow. And then if you do something different, people are going to hate you because you're doing something different. It's so not the you same. Have to, yes. Exactly. You kind of have to pick one or the other, and they picked to get, try something new and take their sound in a different direction. That's right. Yes, exactly. And Neil kept pushing his lyrics, uh, and there's a lot of Cold War stuff in mm -hmm. here, you know, from the different stuff, which obviously we remember living through and growing up through a little bit. And to look back at it now with older eyes and to see, to kind of look around and see what's going on around us, it's kind of like, well, hey, you know, uh, some, <laughs> some of this is still going on, you know? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And they had singles from the album. Now, this was released in early 1989, so we're coming up as we're recording this on the 35th anniversary of this record. So after they did the famous Moving Pictures, which had Tom Sawyer, Limelight, Red Barchetta, all that stuff on it, they did Exit, Stage Left, their second live album. Then the run was Signals, Power Windows, 
Mm-hmm. Grace under, I'm sorry, signals, grace under pressure, power windows, hold your fire. Mm-hmm. And then they make a show of hands. The, the cover has some very 80s artwork on it, but it was also, that's kind of the artwork they showed behind them. Right. Not only at the beginning, but kind of throughout the show. And as someone who's seen Rush, every tour from Roll the Bones on, I mean, they always incorporated some cool video stuff in there, and, and eventually it had more celebrities in it and, and maybe had some scenes, some skits that they had acted out and might yeah. have been directed by Getty's brother, Alan Weinrib. But this was very, very 80s as far as the production because when they did a, they did a three replay a few years back where basically they released on DVD these three, three DVDs of their shows, and one was Exit Stage Left, one was, I think it was Grace Under Pressure, and then one was this one, a show of hands. So I also had the DVD, which I watched a little bit to prepare for this. And I didn't realize how different, and of course it was VHS at the time, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize how different the set list was as far yeah. as what, what they released on VHS and what they released on CD. Well, they had, it was two different things too, because I didn't realize that the show of hands was, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six seven different shows that they put together mm-hmm. and it looks like the video was just from the birmingham show birmingham birmingham it wasn't in alabama it was in birmingham in ac it wasn't birmingham no. <laughs> which for those listening at home was where neil from def Lep pod saw his first def leopard show which we covered on first concert memories three here earlier this month but yes and and about half of the cd came from birmingham maybe a little bit more Mm-hmm. But yeah, the video just came from, I think it was night one. They did two nights and I think they just took it from night one. And, and you know, and who knows what exact order this might've been in. I mean, we could look it up on setlist.com. I know, or setlist.fm. I know, but just the, the order's different. They omitted subdivisions from the video. Mm-hmm. I assume that was because it was on the video that they released, mm-hmm. you know, a few years before. And they threw back in some stuff that wasn't going to be on the record. Look, on the record, they don't want to double up. If you heard Tom Sawyer and Limelight on Exit Stage Left, they didn't necessarily want to put that on a show of hands, right? Right. They want to showcase the stuff that they haven't put on live albums before. So stuff like 2112 and La Vila Strangiato, Spirit of Radio, Tom Sawyer, they didn't put on. They also didn't put territories on the album even though it's on the dvd same with prime mover uh, which is on hold your fire i think pretty sure there and the order is a little bit different but it was cool to watch the boys and i wanted to watch because you know sometimes on the live album you hear the crowd going nuts for what would seem no apparent reason if you can't see what the band's doing like mm-hmm. they don't you know they put up big lights so they put something on the back of the screen or whatever it is and then the crowd goes nuts i wanted to see that and it, it unfortunately didn't always coincide with what i was listening to on the record so oh well but did i force you to listen to this while we were living together or did did that not come till later that i got i think it, i think it came till later i mean i remember you getting it and i remember listening to it but I think you had it in heavier rotation after we went our separate ways. Yeah. It, when when this thing came out, you would buy the the tape or the CD independently from this VHS, correct? Correct. Okay. Because this is this is actually kind of a cool deal because you could have both and not overlap. Right. So I think that was it. Was it didn't track exactly like the CD did, and if you had it on laserdisc, you also got lock and key, which. 
I had never really heard before, but I saw I I found a copy of this, and I guess it was a laser disc cut, and that's actually a pretty cool song. It is kind of cool. I, I think yeah. that's that's hold your fire also, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, look, it's it, it's a little synth out, but it, to me, it's it's more even though they're short, it's it gives it a progginess that okay. you didn't see in the '80s anymore because like. Like our buddy Simon C said, they were getting rid of all that. Like Carl Palmer said, like you can't have all this progeny, you got to distill it down. And so Rush was distilling it down, but they're still putting in these keyboard effects, which gave it that bit to it. And in some ways, almost makes it a little more classical. I don't know. It just hits my ears the exact right way. Plus, we did listen to Chronicle a lot. And I, I listened to a lot my senior year of high school before we met. So I listened to it a lot there. It impressed upon me. I mean, I, th- I feel like it was the first Rush albums I really had. I, I had moving pictures on a cassette that I dubbed from somebody. <laughs> and then I had Chronicles. I'm like, ooh, you know, this is amazing. It's a double album. It has basically two songs from every album, just about. And I was just learning some of these songs. I'm like, wow, some of these are great. Why weren't these bigger hits? Uh, and then I got Presto because that was what was going on at the time. And mm-hmm. then we, we get to school together. I'm playing you Chronicle. And you're like, huh, there's more to this band than I ever knew. <laughs> they have more than one song. Yes. 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 You know, and then obviously Roll the Bones was big. And then we got to see them play that live. Right. Right. And what I like about this is that a lot of... Um, live records are greatest hits so that's kind of a way to cheat like right. we mentioned about how like acdc live is pretty much a, a greatest hits record and that's how we we got into that maybe more of the back catalog too right but on this one this is really yes it's a live record but this is mostly focused in on that four record 80s set even though the the set list which i'm looking at now is a lot longer sure they don't put a lot of the hits in that's right because they've already put those in on other live Mm -hmm. albums so it's like let's just focus on this and so i think i really like this album because it does focus on those 80s hits a lot of these were on chronicle so i was familiar with them but then some of the quote-unquote deeper cuts that maybe weren't singles on the radio they didn't make it to chronicle i really got to know as well and then i'm like okay well now i got to go back and find these as well these other albums of course now i have basically everything they've ever put out i'm a huge (laughs) fan of rush but a lot of it came with this i mean released january 9th 1989 and it was the first one that they didn't have to take something off for the cd because they had double albums right i mean all the world's Mm -hmm. a stage is a double album and exit stage left is a double album they had to take passage to bangkok off to make a CD because CDs could only hold so much information. But this one, because CDs were all the rage in the late eighties, this one fit on there completely. So yeah, we should probably go ahead and get into it mm-hmm. because I have mm-hmm. a lot of notes for a live album. righty. Intro. I feel like that three stooges intro and all that was the exact same one they did for us on roll the bones. Am I correct? I that's, that's what I remember. Yeah. And what I like about that is, what I've always liked about Rush, they never took themselves too seriously. That's right. Like, there are there are legions of people who live and die with their records, and they've always just kind of thought of themselves as, you know, three goofy guys who get to do this for a living. And they're thoughtful, right? They're, yeah. Yeah. So they're they're having some fun up there, and I think that's part of Neil's personality as well. So you have this little intro with a little video, video which is very '80s animation, but that's 
That's okay. <laughs> you know, that's all right. It's, you know, we all have to start someplace. And they go straight into big money, mm-hmm. which is a bit of a hit from them off, off of power windows. I got to say it right now because it really stands out on this one, but I feel like it stands out throughout the album and better than it did on the DVD. The bass on this okay. really stands out to me. You can hear Getty playing that bass, lead bass, really. Mm-hmm. Really throughout the whole record, but it, it really stands out on this one to me. Okay, maybe not my favorite song, but mm-hmm. when I was thinking about it, it's a it's a it's an upbeat way to start the show. It's a great first track to get people into the into it. You know, you you're already psyched. You know, you see the intro. The other thing I like about the intro too is they're all different. Like all the heads are different. Yes, like one's round, one's a triangle, and one's a blockhead. That's so right. they all so they so they they consider themselves even though they're part of the band. They're different people. And I think that that comes through with that. But yeah, then you go into this and because you want you want high energy right off the bat. That's right. Yeah. And it's about about trade in the 80s and observing the power of money and it never sleeps. And they did play this for us when we saw him on Roll the Bones. Mm-hmm. Was that a Cheech and Chong flurry at the end? That's what I wrote down. That Is I don't remember what song it was, but I'm like I that I remember from the old days. Yeah. Just a quick little thing at the end there again that's them being fun right right so that's cool and you're right it's upbeat it gets them going it gets you moving i agree i don't love the song it's not one that i Mm. go to a lot but it's good for the album and then straight into "Mm, mm, mm, Mm -hmm. mm," and you hear their crowd go "Ah," because rush fans love subdivisions And again, yeah, the, the uh, <laughs> Alex's big chance to get up there and except it's not him. Time. It's not him. Neil recorded that his voice and they trigger Neil's voice. Alex made mouth it in the video. Yeah. Okay. It's still Neil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this one's kind of a weird one, too, because it's about growing up and, you know, being the oddball kid. But it's 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 an upbeat song, though. Well, and it's, I feel like it's something everyone can relate to, even the mm-hmm. popular kids in the basement bars, in the backs of cars, be cool or be cast out. Yeah, I mean, this is a fan favorite. It's one of their very best. I didn't realize this is the first song that was written with keyboard, basically, as the thrust of it. Okay. Like, that's where it came from is the keyboard. Usually the keyboards were stuff that they put, kind of put in around the song, mm-hmm. but this was like, it was written on keyboard for keyboard and he's and what neil said which was interesting to me was that means he and alex are now the rhythm section instead of right. he, he and getty right yeah so that changed their relationship and the way that they played together and well look it's it's awesome to me yeah 
And it, well, and again, and again, as a testament to Alex, you know, he could a, a normal human being who played the guitar, a lead guitar, would have said, "You know what? Screw this! I'm out of here. Right. If if I'm not featured, I'm going to go do something else." But he accepted his role in the band, kind of a step to the side a little bit, and embraced that. But you're right that the main riff of that is the keyboard. Absolutely, yeah, no doubt about it. And there's epic drum flourishes at the end, which kind of add to the greatness mm-hmm. of it. It's so it's so awesome. Shocked that they didn't put it on the video, but then two things. One is if they put it on the Grace Under Pressure video, then I, I understand maybe they, they didn't necessarily need to put it on the next one. But I'm hearing bass while Getty's playing the keys during the solo. Okay. So is that pumped in? Did they put that in later? Because or I couldn't that, I couldn't watch him do it. Yeah. Or is that somebody else? Is that Alex playing? Because I know he's got a whole array at his feet. So is he doing something with that? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is I loved it live. I loved it every time they ever played it for me. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. You know, and then that wasn't on the video, as I said, but then Prime Mover was. So hey, you know. They're smart. You know, they say, we'll give you this package over here. We'll give you this one. It's similar, but right. not the same. Correct. And if you're a fan, you're going to want both. You got to have them both, right? And it's, I think you you get a little bit more watching the video because it is it is a live show and you kind of get to see him trade back and forth. And, you know, there are part, there are songs where Getty is behind because he has to be behind the keyboard to play. Right. But then there are ones where he can come out and just play the bass. So he's a little more involved with the getting the crowd into it yeah and that was the other thing about big money i mean he and alex were kind of doing that thing where they rock back and forth mm-hmm. at the front of the stage and running up into each other's faces and dancing around their little one-hop dances that they do <laughs> and that yeah and that got the crowd going got everybody in birmingham all excited you know for it so that's great so you go from all right let's get everybody up and going then we're like okay now we go to our hit and it's it's always bringing the crowd down they're always they're always excited about it okay now, moving on to the next track. So, like I said, most of these songs were on Chronicle and we were familiar with them. Some of them not so much because we didn't really have any of the 80s albums mm-hmm. at the time. So there's a couple songs on here that kind of are showcased, I would say, and were actually released as singles. It's a little rare to have singles off live albums. But this third song, fourth if you include the intro as a song, Marathon off power windows this is a song i didn't know before i picked up this record mm-hmm. and this is one that i love the she wolf loves she's like oh yeah i love this song like because i've dragged her <laughs> to many rush shows <laughs> and they play this she's like oh yeah i really like this one and it was a single it went to number six on the mainstream u.s chart which kind of shocked me mm-hmm. to learn that and i'm not talking about the original i'm talking about this live version hit number six on the chart did you know this? I mean, what do you think about this song? Yeah, I was not super familiar with it. It was if it wasn't on Chronicles and it was in the eighties, you know, late later eighties playlist. I was not super familiar with it. I kind of like it on hearing it more and more. I think these, for me, these the next couple here from this time period. You really, for me to get an enjoyment out of it, you have to listen to it more and really hear the lyrics. And kind of how they go together, and then it kind of it brings more of a an understanding and an enjoyment. There really is no guitar riff on this. What I love is they do play this on the live on the um, video version, and you can see what's going on in the back. And the guy running 
I don't know who put together the the graphics for this, but it is very of the time. Very, yes, absolutely, <laughs> no doubt about it. Fire yeah. up that Commodore sixty four and tell me what show me what you can do. <laughs> exactly, yeah. No, and there's a big solo, and then there's a slowdown. You know, where they go, you could do a lot in a lifetime if you don't burn out too fast. It's kind of a metaphor about life. I mean, the, they kind of tell a story. Yes, it's about a long distance runner, but it's really about your life's ambitions, your production in life. You have all these ambitions. You have all the stuff to do. Mm-hmm. You can do it all, but you've got to, you know, kind of pace yourself a little bit. And yes, you're right. Neil's lyrics are pointing. You really want to hear them and understand the story he's trying to relate here. Right. To me. And, you know, it, it, the crowd goes wild at the end because they basically turn on bright lights on the crowd and they do the kind of, mm, mm. it's very, mm. it's kind of classical. It's kind of momentous. It's a little epic. And I love it. They dropped this after Presto. Okay. And, and so we didn't see it when we saw them together, but they brought it back for the Time Machine tour. And that's when, you know, the She-Wolves like, oh yeah, I love this one. This is a great one. I'm like, yes, it is. And I'm <laughs> so glad it's back. <laughs> And I always say, because a lot of Rush fans don't like Power Windows. They just, mm-hmm. even if you like your 80s stuff, they're like, no, nah, Power Windows wasn't that good. But this is very good. And Power Windows gets a lot of play on this record. So we're going to almost point them out along the way. But to me, this is a highlight of this live album. And the fact that the single went to number six, mainstream rock, not Billboard, but mainstream, it shows you that it did strike a chord with some people. It, it definitely, it it. It, when you listen to it the first time, you're kind of like, eh, like the like the melody really isn't that special. But if you go through it a couple times, you know, from first to last, kind of it kind of gets hooked into your ear. And uh, yeah, the lyrics are they're well, all of these lyrics are heavier than you first give them credit for. I agree with that. One moment, time and glory rolls on by. Yeah, like a streak of lightning. I mean, it's he's an amazing lyricist. He, he was an incredible writer of songs. It's just, it makes me sad that he's not around. Although mm. I know he wouldn't be touring anymore, maybe not even playing live, but he could still do stuff in the studio. He could still write poetry. He could still mm. write books. It's just a big loss for the world, Neil Peart, Peart, I should say. Okay, so we move along to turn the page. Another one that I didn't know, and it's mm. on side two of Hold Your Fire. Now, this was the Hold Your Fire tour, although they did record some stuff from the Power Windows tour and from the Hold Your Fire tour. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it was the most recent record to the release of this one. And again, to me, the bass is very prominent. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a little bit like Big Money, which was on Power Windows. And they never played it again after this tour. This is the one that I never saw them do live from this album. Okay. Nothing can survive in a vacuum. No one can exist 
just the age, it's just the stage. We disengage, we turn the page. <sighs> I don't love the song. I, the lasers behind Neil on the video were very 80s. Just <laughs> green lasers coming out. It's like, ooh, lasers. You know, the crowd had a big cheer during the first chorus, but I don't know how great this one is in their pantheon. The, I mean, the solo is kind of hot for this point in time, but yeah, I mean, th- this one is not my favorite. And this this is kind of a, in, in this set list here, you're kind of going to go through a couple of these without any of the big hits to kind of break this up. So I think this is kind of the long run in this set list. Maybe, but you know, I mean, they put territories on the DVD. They could have put that in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, although I'm sure it was on the other DVD. They could have put lock and key from mm-hmm. that same record. They could have put prime mover from that same record shows this one. And that's their choice. I probably wouldn't have. It's not bad, but it's, if there's a skip, although I never skip anything on this, I just want to play. <laughs> That's probably a skip. Although the next one, Manhattan Project, I honestly skipped this a bunch because mm-hmm. not only is it very dated, it's like, you know, it's telling the story of the bomb and Oppenheimer and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I, I honestly, I don't want to hear a Canadian person's perspective on this. You're, so I've got. I've we got saved the world and you're welcome. Now shut up. <laughs> I've got, you know what would be a fun song? Question mark. <laughs> Nuclear war. <laughs> Like what? But you know, it, it, this has kind of come around again now because you know that Oppenheimer movie just released not too long ago, right? And and it's it's an odd choice for a subject matter, but when you think about it, you know they they make reference to the you know whoever whoever figures this out first is going to win the war. Yeah, that was a that was it's a very heavy duty subject for a rock song. Yeah, whoever found it first would be sure to do their worst. Mm-hmm. They always had before. You know, and that was the race. If we don't get it before the Germans do, everyone's screwed, you know. Right. So, and it was off power windows, and there were a bunch of war nuclear test picks and the videos and the picks behind the band for this one. Lots of little MIDI fires and little technology mm-hmm. plays in here. And they dropped it after Presto as well. I feel like after Presto, there was kind of like a changing of the guard. They're like, you mm-hmm. know what? We got we to move some of these out and bring some stuff back in, but also do some newer stuff. So. It did come back for the Clockwork Angels tour, and they played it with strings, which is interesting. I didn't love all the strings on that tour. I, what I really didn't love on that tour is that they played like 10 songs off the new album. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. You get four was, songs off the new album, and that's it. Right. But I, I think they I think they had a, uh, if I remember correctly, they had a whole break, and then they brought the orchestra in, and yeah, pretty much played the whole record. And yeah, I was in the same boat, like, okay. Can we move on here? Yeah. That was probably my least favorite Rush tour just because of all the new stuff. It mm-hmm. was cool to hear some stuff with with orchestra and strings and stuff. But I mean, I think the song did pretty well on original release off Power Windows. It was a single. But, you know, it's not my favorite. But next, Mission. Okay. Now, this is one that was not on Chronicle, was on Hold mm-hmm. Your Fire. And I think this this in Marathon really stand out for me. This is this is on Hold Your Fire, and I really loved this song and this version of it. Okay, so then I would ask you why. What what about this connected with you? 
<sighs> the music is 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 great. I, I also like Alex gets a nice solo at the end, like not mm-hmm. in like the middle solo part necessarily, but at the end, it's really good. And I just feel like the lyrics again are really poignant. It's basically about how people are always envious of other people or they always assume the other people are having a better life than you are, you know, and, and like their friends be like, oh, it must be so great for you. You make all this money and you, you know, you're on the road and people adore you. And like, yeah, don't you know how hard it is to be away from my wife and child for four straight months at a time you know that's that's hard it's like we each pay a fabulous price for our visions of paradise and it's we all do that it's not just rock bands it's not just the average it's everybody everyone you pay a price Hmm. to live the life that you want and i don't know i just i always love this this song and this version of it And that's pretty much, we get right back to the core of this whole show, is there's nothing better than a song you've never heard of before. And all of a sudden you listen to it and you say, wait, where's this been my whole life? Wait Mm -hmm. a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know the singles, I know the hits. This is one I really love. And there are, unfortunately, Steve Kilby, there are versions of these songs that you like better live for whatever reason. It sounds better to you than it does on the record. And the one that I would really point to is A Passage to Bangkok. I love it so much more off of Exit Stage Left than the studio version. Me too. It just just sounds better. And sometimes you get that. It's just for whatever reason, it just hits you a different way. And I think the way that Getty is singing this, he's really singing it from the heart and from his gut. He's Mm -hmm. really, his his voice is very strong on this one. And I I just like it. And I didn't realize that they did release this as a single. The live version got to number 33. Mm -hmm. on U.S. mainstream rock. So that's another minor hit off this album from songs that weren't released before. So, because I think they released Closer to the Heart as a single, but it's like, that was already a single, you know? Yeah. And and it was on Exit Stage Left, if I'm not mistaken. It's the only overlap. I could be wrong about that. Fuck, now I gotta look it up. (laughs) You you prepare so much for this shit, and then you think you know everything, and then your brain's like, wait a minute, what? You throw yourself a curveball. No, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was on. Yeah, it was on Exit Stage. It was the only one. It's the only overlap. So, so yeah. So to me, it's like that's what it should be. It should be. Uh, it should just do old hits that we've revamped. It should be like you don't know this song, mm-hmm. but you should. And here it is. Right. And and it also, it, if you're going to do this many live records, it really should be a a time capsule of this period, and not just songs from everything or songs from the whole catalog and songs that you know well yeah here's that's always kind of been rush's deal is that they're gonna have they're you're here for the deep tracks that's right you know and then it wasn't too long after we first saw them play that they ditched the opening act and it was just an evening with rush where they Mm -hmm. basically played they come out and play for more than an hour and then they play for an hour and a half it was generally like a three-hour show and that's why the next live album in the series different stages had, yes, a live album from Test for Echo, but then also a live album from back in the day. I think, was it 76 or 78? I'm not going to look that up, people. Don't make me go. It was just an old one from the 70s, which at the time was pretty cool to get. 
so no, I, I love that they dropped that one after Presto and brought it back for Snakes and Arrows, which okay. I believe I saw three different times. So, <laughs> and I took the She Wolf every time, and she loved Mission every time. So, of the eight percent of the crowd that was female, she was <laughs> she was one of them, and she was digging that song. Okay. Hi, I'm Amanda Lehman, and you're listening to Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. All right, next, Distant Early Warning. Now, you know this song from Grace Under Pressure from Chronicles. Right. It was their first single off the record. This one is, again, this has got heavy-duty lyrics to it. It's It's kind of an upbeat tune. But like in a in a downbeat way, you know, like it's you know, there's no swimming in the waters. Uh, As, uh, heavy heavy water. Acid, yeah, yeah, in the acid rain, red mm-hmm. alert. You know, it's this it's this panic of you know the world is on the edge of falling apart. But yeah, I mean, it's a great song, and I I like his bass work in this. You know, both in this live track and on the uh studio album he's really got a fat groove going on this thing yeah i put big work from alex on this one with getty really jamming at the end he's really going off Mm -hmm. on that bass man um But it's another it's another very Cold War era song, right? I mean, Distant Early Warning is about a series of Arctic surveillance stations to alert us that World War Three is happening because there's, <laughs> you know, there's rockets, there's ICBMs like heading our way, you know, right. so sometimes drive me crazy, but I worry about you. I know it makes a difference to what you're going through. I mean, it's yeah, it must be tough to be those people in those Arctic stations. No doubt about it. But we don't think about that a whole lot. We're safe and happy and fat. <laughs> if you're an American, you're fat. Please don't forget fat. Don't forget fat in your uh, in your house. It's so, funny. It's like Europeans are like, oh, Americans are fat and stupid. I'm like, hey, come on now. And I come back after four years. I'm like, God, oh. they're right on the money, aren't they? You don't want to believe it's true. Holy Son of a bitch. Yeah. You know, one thing I wanted to point out was I'm always intrigued with gear. And I was trying to figure out what in the holy hell Alex was playing during this time period. It looks like a uh, Stratocaster, but apparently it was a thing called a signature guitar. Hmm. Don't know anything about that. But there was a there was a quote from him saying it was awful to play, very uncomfortable. But it had a sound that I liked, huh. so I'm trying to I'm trying to think about that. You're up on stage playing this guitar, or he actually had two or three of them that I could make out oh, sure, from, yeah. on the on the video that you hated. And I don't know whether it was heavy or thick. It looked kind of thick from the side angles, but to stand up there like a pro and play this thing, it looked like with zero effort is pretty interesting to me like why you would have done that but i guess it was just it was for the sound he to loved get the, the sound. way it sounded yeah suffering for his art thank you Correct. alex you are the man you know yeah now they they took this out of the set list for a while but they played it on time machine and they played it on uh, their r40 tour as well i remember being in chicago at the united center seeing this mm-hmm. and 
they played, you know, they played it on the time machine. And during the break, some guy goes, distant early warning was cool. I'm like, yes, distant early warning was cool, man. Love that. <laughs> I love the 80s era rush. I know a lot of people don't. I do. There's also some fat bastard who was mad at me for going to the bathroom a few times. Like, whatever, dude. Just take Why the bacon he... off the cheeseburger once a week. You'll see those pounds really drop, dude. <laughs> Why was he mad that you went to the bathroom? Well, I, I mean, I probably went like four or five times because I probably didn't eat much and I was drinking a bunch of beer. So it was running through me. Oh, so you had to go around him. Yeah, everyone had to go around him. Like, cars <laughs> had to go around him. Jesus. Tubby bitch. Anyway. Anyway, we move on to, uh-huh. the, to the song that did make it onto Chronicle, which is Mystic Rhythms. Mm-hmm. Off of Power Windows. And the original single actually got to 21 on Mainstream Rock, which I had no idea about. Not not off this, but off, off Power Windows. Boy, Neil was really playing with his electric drum kit here, wasn't he? Correct. And... But uh, before we start on that, I want to point out a deficiency that I see. If you're there for crowd work, you're not going to get much of it. In fact, he says, and I quote, here's another one from Power Window. Boom. Yes, but they, they cut that stuff out. For the video in the live, but I think, album, I, but I think I remember when we saw them. It wasn't like, "Hey, it's great to see you." You know, we're back here, and I mean, it's real sparse. Like he just there's there's some thank yous, there's some you know, great to see you. But I mean, there is no there is no uh, you know. I, I was walking through the streets of uh, Birmingham the other day, and well, I couldn't help but run into the great blah blah blah. You know, whatever the local thing is, everybody <laughs> cheers. He's just not going to do that. It's it's mostly about the music. But when we saw them, Alex had his Mickey Mouse joke, <laughs> that right? Is true. Yes. You give Alex a little spotlight time. Yeah. Because we're in Orlando, which is where Disney World is. And he told the joke that there's news coming out that Mickey Mouse was going to divorce Minnie because she was crazy. Like, Mickey, you can't divorce Minnie just because she's crazy. He said, I didn't say she was crazy. I said, she was fucking goofy. <laughs> but, um... Yes, and that's right. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what Neil did. So, but I don't know. I like the live version of this. I like it better than the version on Power Windows. Mm -hmm. I would, I would say the same. And and here's where we, where we kind of diverge off this one. Mystic Rhythms and Witch Hunt are from an '86 show in uh, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Another song from Power Windows called Mystic Rhythms. So you know what though? Let's stop for a minute there though, and and take a step back. Okay. What are your thoughts on this format versus one show? Yeah, I mean, look, it's very rare that a live album is just one show. Mm-hmm. I, I know now they're like the Rolling Stones, like this was us in Hyde Park in 2008 or whatever. This was yeah. us in Havana, and you you and they usually do a couple shows and they take the best bits of each. I mean, like that Atlantic City one behind me from the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. That was in New Jersey, but it wasn't just from one night. You know, they 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 took it bits and pieces here and there. I don't even think the video was from night one night. I think they had guests on different nights, and then on the video you'd think they had all these amazing guests on one night. It was <laughs> just not the case. So it's pretty rare that if you do a live album, it is all from one place, let alone mm-hmm. one night. So no, it's it's about cherry picking 
what's the very best of each version. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't really care about that. As long as it's representative of the tour and uh, they sound good, yeah, that's, it's all good with me. And and I'm, I'm okay with that also. I mean, I think that, it, I mean, especially if it's, if it's just the sound, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, if it's, if it's a video, maybe you can pick out if they're wearing different outfits. It's like, okay, I know this is not the same show. But I think it's kind of cool also if they, and I don't know in the original packaging if they told you where these were from, but you know, you have a better chance of, I was actually at that show. Yeah, so exactly. So that's kind of a cool deal. I mean, look, anytime it's like this was recorded here on the state and I was there, of course I'm going to buy it. Right. Uh, but then this, like you say, it gives you, all right, there are seven different shows. So if you're at one of those, then there's a little piece of that show that you saw is in there. Right. So it's a little souvenir for you. They played this on Power Windows Tour. And then they dropped it. They brought it back for counterparts, which I saw while we were in school. I think you were doing a semester in Connecticut. <laughs> or something, yes. Or something. And then they, they did the R32, I remember. <laughs> Coming home from the counterparts tour. Also in the arena. I think like two years, almost to the day, since we'd seen them on Roll the Bones. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh man, sorry Jackson, missed this. I gotta tell them all about it. And I started writing you a letter. <laughs> Like that night, like at midnight, you know, like home. I'm like, what am I doing? You know, he, I'm not going to send him a letter. I'll just call him and tell him how it was, you know, because I still have the first letter that you ever sent me before we ever met. It was like, Hey, call me so we can decide who brings what Gary, like, and with your phone number on it. Like, Oh, this guy's going to be loquacious. He's going to be fun to hang out with for freshman year of college. How are you? Fine. (laughs) All right. So, so that's mystic rhythms. Now we get into Witch Hunt, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Donald Trump's favorite Rush song because he's bringing it up all the time. <laughs> he puts it in his social media. He says it on TV. Witch Hunt, I'm like, God, man, he must really love moving pictures, man. Witch Hunt, yeah. Only song from moving pictures on this wasn't on Exit Stage Left. It's a little heavier, I feel like, maybe even a little faster than the studio version. Mm-hmm. And I've got I've got uh, solid guitar riff intro and no synth on this one, and and this was a I think this was the first time. Hold on, yeah, first time we've moved out of the four record set, and, but uh, yeah, not not limelight, not Tom Sawyer, kind of a cool intro, in uh, not intro, a cool addition to this because it's not one of the big hits. Well, that's right. That's right. But they would always, they would usually resurrect something from moving pictures. Like, look, they have to play Tom Sawyer every night, mm-hmm. right? They kind of have to. And YYZ was a pretty big staple of the show as well. But they would bring back Red Barchetta for a couple of tours. And they bring back Limelight for a couple of tours. And, you know, they, they bring back this sometimes, you know. And this was part three of Fear with The Weapon, which was on... Mm-hmm. The next album, Signals, being part two. You know, they were kind of weird when they did that kind of stuff. But this is all about fear. It's very moody. It's very ambient, you know. And the lyrics are as poignant as ever, to be honest with you. When they wrote this, I don't know how pointed it was. But now, in our political situation, it is right on the money. Mad Men fed on fear and lies. I mean, it's like, wow. (laughs) It's prescient. It's like Neil really knew what he was doing. They see there are strangers who danger 
yeah ahead of his time and but like it, you said unfortunately it it definitely applies today as well uh, talk about our immigrants and infidels like that's who you're supposed to be afraid of and guess what that's who everyone's afraid of mm-hmm. i also thought it was interesting that biden's gonna go ahead and finish the wall <laughs> after all that <laughs> you know and he's complaining well he earmarked that money and we're not allowed to use it for anything else so i guess we'll just stem hundreds of thousands of people running across the border by finishing the wall i'm like yeah probably a pretty good idea you might have called it xenophobic, but it's actually not the worst idea that he had. But this was dropped at the end of the 80s also. Another one, they're like, no, we're not going to do this for a while. Brought it back for Snakes and Arrows. And of course, when they did uh, Moving Pictures and its entirety live, uh, mm-hmm. they, they did it then as well. I always like this. I love Moving Pictures. I love everything. I mean, Camera Eye, all of it. I mean, yeah. the whole thing, all seven songs to me are great. Most people call it their best album, their opus, if you will, but... Uh, I'm, I'm glad they put something on there on this because you can't, you, they didn't put them all on exit stage left. So I'm glad they stuck it in here. Mm-hmm. Now we move on to what for many, for most bands, if there's a drum solo, that is your signal to get up and go to the bathroom, go get a beer, go check out the t-shirt stand for mm-hmm. Neil Peart. You stay where you are. I mean, I, I'm going to be real honest with you when we, Went to go see them for the Roll the Bones tour. This was a huge reason why I went. I had to see this. I had to see this go down live. And listening to it, it's great to listen to, but to watch him play it is even better. That's what I was going to say. I mean, it's cool that they put it on the record. Obviously, it's an important part of the show to Rush fans. But you have to see him do it. Mm -hmm. The video, it's much more important on the video than it is on the record. And especially this one, because there's a lot of mini trigger pads here, lots of toys for him to play with. And he had fun. He was definitely longer when we saw him. I mean, this is like more than four minutes or something like that. When we saw him, I feel like it was seven. Now, maybe he did more or maybe they just cut out some pieces for the live album. I don't know. But it was appointment viewing. You didn't leave for his drum solo. You just didn't. It was it was amazing. It was special. And then eventually he would have like Buddy Rich behind him on the screens in later years. He was jamming along with him. But on this one, it was called The Rhythm Method. In later live albums, it was called O Batterista or Der Trommler or De Slagwerker, <laughs> which all translate to the drummer in Portuguese, German and Dutch, respectively. Mm-hmm. So, again, that's their comedic side coming out. That certainly Neil's like... Not taking himself too seriously, like greatest drummer in the whole world, but he's kind of taking the piss out of himself at the same time, right? And what and I don't remember now if if at this point in time he had the kit that rotated, but when he when we saw him, you know, he plays the drum part at the beginning and then he gets he kind of gets up a little bit, the thing rotates and then the xylophone is in front of him. Right. And so that's that's it's just I mean, could he have turned the the chair? Sure. But that's just cooler and it's just a little showmanship also. Well, exactly. And then he's not got his back to the audience. You know, yeah. he, it's it comes around in front of him, you know, and he does the, the MIDI things. I mean, it's great. It's it's fun. You know, it, it's amazing to see somebody do it. So mm-hmm. 
you got to love it. Will I skip it these days? Look, I just let it play and do whatever I got to do. I, I never really yeah. skip anything on this album. What I think I liked better was when he got moved into kind of the later tours where he would break this up because as, as cool as this is to listen to at some point in time, and maybe it was because it was seven minutes, you're like, okay, I've, I've it's not that I've had enough, but it's like I need a break. Yeah. So for him to break it up was kind of cool because you get a little bit and a couple more songs and a little bit more and then a little bit more. So it's, it's not over with. It's just little tastes of it. All right. Moving on. Next is Force 10. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Off Hold Your Fire. I didn't realize Force 10 was a big hit. Number three on Mainstream Rock, the original release. Not on the Billboard, but number three. That's pretty high up the charts for yeah. a Rush song, you know? Mm-hmm. One that I, I mean, it, it it was off Chronicles. I heard it. It was, you know, it was okay, whatever. Well, moving on. But they started the show for us with this. And That's so right. from then on, this was always my favorite, one of my favorites, because it just, that beginning where it's just, you know, it, I mean, it, it sounds kind of cheesy, but, you know, they would say, you know, the lights go down and you feel the rush. Okay, whatever. But when they go into that, you know, that the beginning part of that and then the drums, boom, bang, boom, boom. I mean, it was on then i mean it was just the the ride had started and this will always have a special place in my heart after that live show absolutely true yes they did open with it and i'm like god yes force 10 <laughs> i knew they were gonna play it right and i always love this one i especially yeah. after we saw it live i mean yes it was on chronicle i'm like yeah that's that's my maybe my favorite of hold your fire of the two of hold your fire that i knew because of chronicle <laughs> And I figured it was one of those that they'd never take out of the show. Like that was mm-hmm. the next Tom Sawyer or one of those that they'd always, but they, they ran it live from hold your fire through test for echo. And then they took it out for a bit. Mm-hmm. And then they came back with R 30 and clockwork angels. They did it. So I love it. And then they slow down for the chorus. Yeah. With it, with deal, just tapping on the things, yeah. look in to the eye of the storm. Boom, boom with a little bass. Yeah. It's great. It's great. Some of the program stuff is a little bit manic. But when he and when he breaks into that kind of a bass solo, yes. that's awesome. That it, can't get loud enough. Exactly. You know, no, this is great <laughs> rush right here, you know. So, uh, yeah, I, I never thought they'd, they'd stop playing this one. But, you know, hey, with the catalog that diverse, they got to mix it up. You know, some yeah. things they, they got to, unless it's Tom Sawyer. Things come in and out of the set list. And that was what was made going to see Rush so cool, especially when you didn't know what the set list was going to be. Although I'd always find out if I ever had the opportunity to do so, because I want to prepare for the show. But from year to year, tour to tour, whatever, they could mix it up so much that I don't know. I just I loved it. I, Mm. I, I, I love this one live. And I just loved seeing them live because it was just curious as to what they were going to do. All right. So next is time stand still mm-hmm. also off hold your fire also went to three on mainstream rock shocked and of course it's with amy mann doing the time stand still bit mm-hmm. in doing research i never knew they wanted cindy lopper for that bit really or they, or they discussed getting cindy lopper for it okay and then eventually they decided you know would be perfect for it is chrissy 
for the pretenders. Let's get her. They tried. They couldn't. So then they went back to Amy, their countrywoman, mm-hmm. and paid her two grand. Said, come in here and sing and come in and do the video. And the, vi- <laughs> the, video, <laughs> the video was very 80s back in the day. I mean, you know, just them digitized swirling around. And she was, I think, behind the camera, like filming yeah. them, singing the time stand still. But I like Amy, man. And it's nice to have a female's voice on there, which they piped in for all those years. Obviously, she, she didn't go on tour with them. Right. But they piped it in with her with that her part in the video. So you knew what was happening. It wasn't mm-hmm. like they were trying to pretend or anything or have somebody else on the stage to sing it. And Neil's hitting his midi bits. I mean, this is a song about maturity and enjoying the ride a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I guess like in the 70s when they're doing 250 shows a year and recording an album or two, they didn't really have time to look around and say, hey, look how great this is. They were just kind of going, going, going. Now you get a little bit older. You got a family. This one hits a little bit different listening to it now because you kind of, you know, when you're 18, okay, yeah, whatever. Time stand, get out of my face. I got other, I got things I got to do. I'm busy, yeah. Yeah, now that you've got a family, you know, you kind of, you realize what's important and what's not. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Mm -hmm. Because in doing research, yeah, it's about maturity and enjoying your time around you. Don't just be so busy doing the stuff you're doing. Enjoy what you're doing and look around and appreciate who you're with, what you're doing. I always thought this was about sex or an orgasm. All right. In the lyrics, you know, make each sensation a little bit stronger, you know, mm-hmm. and, and in the beginning, it's the innocence slips away. So when you're having that sensation, it's like, oh, you're losing your virginity. The innocence slips away. But at the end, it's like experience slips away. Like all the sex you've had, it's still when it's time to finish, like, well, I thought I was better than that. Uh <laughs> You know, and I, I just, I swear to you, I always thought it was about an orgasm and maybe it was, and now we'll never know. Cause Neil's not here to tell me I'm right or wrong, but mm-hmm. that's just what I always thought it was about, but I'm close. I mean, it is about growing up and trying to appreciate the stuff around you like a good orgasm, <laughs> I guess. I, <laughs> I just, I, I mean, and it just, thinking about this, it just, it made me feel bad for Neil. Because you're right, in the 70s, all you were doing was working, working. 80s, you do get time off now. You know, they, they have this routine where they record. Yes, they go out and tour, but then they have time off. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the 90s, where within a year, his daughter died in a car accident. And then within a year, his wife, I mean, she basically died of a broken heart. And then all these things, I finally, I've been doing this 25 years. I cannot tour for years if I want, I could retire and quit and maybe come back in four or five years if I want. And I'll enjoy time with my family. But now my family's gone. Yeah. And to hear, you know, like, God, I wish I'd had appreciated it more at the time. I guarantee you, once they were gone, you have all sorts of regrets. And I mm. would never be able to live through what he went through. <laughs> yeah. I, I would have been his wife. I would have been his wife. I would have died of a broken heart. I would have chased after my daughter. Correct. And, 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 Kudos to to uh, Getty and Alex for kind of talking him off the ledge and getting him back into that because I think that really, 
I mean, what else was he going to do? I mean, you have to have a distraction now in your life. I mean, you went, yeah. you had this thing that wasn't, it distracted you in a bad way, I guess. And now it distracts you in a good way because you, you've, you've had this horrible experience or experiences yeah. happen to you. And now you've got to, you've got to kind of get back on the horse and, and live the rest of your life and not just wallow in sorrow for whatever time you have left. Well, and, and the band was over. I mean, it was mm-hmm. done. And he was off riding his motorcycle from Alaska to Mexico, you know, and he check in every once in a while. I guess there was a network of people checking in on him just to make sure he's okay. He's out there. But the band stopped. It ceased to be. Mm-hmm. I think Getty did a an album. Was it my favorite headache or something like that? You know, and they worked on some stuff. They didn't need the money. So, yeah, the band ceased so he could heal. And then when he came back, Vapor Trails was, ah, it's its one of my least favorite Rush albums. It really it really is. I, I actually haven't picked up or listened to the, the reworked version of it. Hmm. Uh, they call it remastered or whatever, but they, they changed it a little bit apparently. But he had to have been in such a dark place that his writing took a while to evolve back to what he was more used to, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving on to, to, to a lighter subject, Red <laughs> Sector A. Sure which is basically about the Holocaust. Yeah, this one hits a lot harder once you hear the story of how he how, how Neil sat with Getty's mother mm-hmm. and heard stories of, you know, being in the concentration camp. It's um it's pretty brutal. Yeah, no, off of Grace Under Pressure, it's stark and dark mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. You know, are we the last ones left alive? There's no base on this from Getty. I, I, that was one of the notes that I had. Yeah. I so that was on, when I saw the, the video version, I'm like, Oh, he doesn't even have it around his neck. Like nope. it's gone. Mm-hmm. He's just playing the keyboards, just keyboards and singing, you know, obviously it's pretty rare and there's some urgency to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with Alex is playing, Are the liberators here? Do I hope or do I fear? It's like, are the people going to save us? Or are they going to be worse? You know, like, right. what's going to happen? We don't know. And they played this quite a bit. They didn't mm-hmm. always play it every tour, but they played this quite a bit from the time it was recorded to to their last tour. So I got to imagine it must have been hard for Getty to play this song on some level. Yeah. It must yeah. have been emotional and, for him. It must have been. Right. But, but I think that it, by the time he came along, like he knew the end of the story, like it, it was horrible for a lot of people, but I think his, his parents made it through and it you've got to imagine that, that their experiences and going from, I think they were from Poland originally mm-hmm. and then emigrating to Canada shaped how he was brought up and his of course. kind of view of the world. Absolutely. And maybe that's why he didn't want the base on him for this he wants to be free to be able to, to feel yeah. it or i i don't know yeah I mean, and, and it's like it didn't have to be about specifically the holocaust it could be about any concentration camp or any place well that's the one that's going to come to mind i mean right and Which is, it, it's 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 a live account it's not like something we read about this you talk to mary wine right. about it right yeah correct so I'm just glad they both made it out so we have a Getty Lee so we have Rush there's yeah. a lot of things that could happen in the world 
that changes and we would never know it. Mm. And how many artists do we lose because of the Holocaust that we don't know? Right. Yeah. We, correct. You know? Correct. And, and how, how that, how those events just shape the rest of the, I mean, you, you know, you go from that into the cold war, into what we've got now. I mean, how did that one goes to another goes to another. It's still ricocheting today. So it's something that you can't downplay and can't forget happened either. Well, that's right. You know, and grace under pressure. We, we always talk about how like that, that was an Epic rush album, maybe their best of the eighties, but it's very dark, you know, and mm-hmm. we're talking about, about this song and talking about distant early warning. These are all cold war Holocaust, you know, between the wheels, which I love, which they brought back in, in later dates. I think maybe starting with test for echo. Well, that's, you know, that's about being churned out for the army being churned out for, I mean, it's almost like a Roger Waters dystopian, you know, they're just turning you into this paste. Mm-hmm. Basically you're grist for the mill for the military industrial complex. Basically, there's a lot of that on that eight track record, but they do it. I don't know. Awfully well. Mm. I mean, it's, it's still, even though, even though it's a lyrics are horrible and heavy duty, it's, it's still a catchy song. Well, that's right. And you know, when they talk about smoking guns, they would usually do some kind of pyro or, yeah. you know, and the crowd would go, ah, during that to cut down the unlucky ones. Like, you know, you're basically cheering about people trying to run away from a <laughs> concentration camp and getting killed. Right. <laughs> But, I mean, it, it made for a good live performance, mm-hmm. I suppose. And then, to kind of wrap it all up, they go to Closer to the Heart. Mm-hmm. Something to kind of, okay. Enough of the doom and gloom. Exactly. Let's do something that, that people love and is going to make you happy from the Hemispheres album. It was not played much on the 2000 tours. They played it on Time Machine and R40. They played it for us. This was, interestingly enough, on original release. Because they did release this as a single off this album. But the original release, more than 10 years before, was the first Rush song to hit the top 40 in the UK. Went to number 36. And it was the lead single off Exit Stage Left. I don't want to be a jerk here, but yeah. so we don't get hate mail from the fans, this was off Farewell to Kings and not Hemispheres. I'm sorry. You're right. No, no. You're right. Off of Farewell to Kings. You're right. Sorry. Sorry. Farewell to Kings. They're right next to each other, and I confuse right. them a lot. Because that's what I do. I confuse things <laughs> in my old age. <laughs> so it was the lead single off exit stage left it was a single off of this one so you know that they love it they played it all through the 80s mm-hmm. all through the 90s they took it out of some 2000 tours but i mean i think the original single only got in the 60s or something like that in huh. the u.s or something like that so this was a bigger hit in the uk and i always thought that this along with spirit of the radio this would be two that they always always played well mm-hmm. spirit of the radio for the most part they did but this one they took out a little bit <laughs> Yeah, which is too bad because this song really is great. It, it's upbeat. It's got a very positive message to it. And it's cool because it's, st- I mean, how many of these songs, and I'm really trying to think now, st- have acoustic guitar in them. And, you know, so you bring that out, you hear him play it. It's It doesn't look very easy to play 
on the, the acoustic part. No. And then, you know, they go into, then he steps back and gets to hammer the, uh, the electric guitar. I love this song. Yeah, man. He's got the steady acoustic right there, mm-hmm. which Steve Howe would often do for yes and you know these guys were influenced heavily by yes and then when it comes to he can step back and, and play his guitar i think getty's bass work in here is nice especially when they kind of slow it down and they break it down yeah. okay it's towards the front of the show on the dvd whereas it's the last song they rap with it on the live album here and i think that's a good move i think they should rap with it although i don't think they did i think they did like a twenty-one twelve la vila strangiato medley at the end to like you know squeeze in a bunch of stuff like we're not going to do everything but here's a little (laughs) bit of this here's a little bit of this here's a little bit of this thank you good night but i think it's a good way to wrap up the album yeah like i said it's upbeat it's a it's a favorite you know you've heard this a million times like even even if you're a kind of a casual rush fan you've heard this song so yeah great way to end the show i i love this song it's a you never know what he's going to do with the with the triggers like, I understand there aren't church bells in the back. He's got his little MIDI. You never know what you're going to hear out of there. So that's kind of a cool thing, too. Yeah, so strong way to, to wrap up the album was with a, a fan favorite and a classic there. To me, and I like different stages a lot because, obviously, I had seen every tour. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't see Presto because I had to go to basketball camp. I remember my buddy's like, we can come break you out and run you up to Cincinnati. I'm like, yeah, I don't think Coach is going to go for that. <laughs> We were at Campbellsville College in Campbellsville, Kentucky, which is now rebranded to Campbellsville University. But but I was sorry that I missed them. And I'm like, God, I'm not going to miss them again. And then I never did after that. In fact, camped out on the sidewalk with you to make sure I didn't. And then never missed another tour. The band I've seen the most, 12 times, they were incredible live. They never let you down. They didn't jam much. I mean, you know, for the most part, what you heard on the record, they would do live. There, there's some things that they change up a little bit, but it's all very programmed. They, they'd they already thought it through, uh, and it was a workout for Neil. Like, he'd be like, oh, God, we got 57 shows to do. Oh, my God. <laughs> Next night, oh, God, we still got 56 to do. Like, he loved it, but at the same time, it was very hard work for him. Yeah, I mean, and he was he was the hardest working guy in the band but so you sometimes you listen to live albums and you say did they touch that up i mean it, does it really sound like that live mm-hmm. and i don't know if they did any kind of touch-ups on this but i can tell you hearing them live it's pretty close they do not disappoint no one misses a note no one misses anything it's it's just it's tight it's well rehearsed and it's it sounds pretty much like what you hear on this record. Yeah, and one thing that I didn't realize is, you know, they they started messing with subdivisions, I think on the Exit Stage Left Tour or on the Moving Pictures Tour. So there are boots out there of them kind of trying out subdivisions live before it was ever released hmm. okay. on signals. Yeah, and so I need to go back and find some of those or find bootlegs. I, I, I used to be able to find bootlegs. I'm really bad at it now. But thanks to the internet, I can find just about anything, mm-hmm. uh, at least to hear it. Even if I can't own it, I could hear it. And that's that was certainly a highlight. I mean, w- the highlights for me is, yeah, it's Subdivisions, Marathon, Mission. I like Witch Hunt. I like Force 10. And those are probably my my highlights of the record. Yeah, I would say definitely Force 10 for me. Yeah, I, I think I did like uh, some of the more of the holds your fire stuff just hearing it again like it kind of forcing myself to listen to it red sector a i love just because it's it's just dark and 
nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you got to love closer to the heart. You got to love the end part of that. The light send off is fantastic. What I didn't really understand or realize at the time was from after Caressa Steel, all of their albums went platinum in the U.S. until Hold Your Fire, and it mm-hmm. only only quote unquote went gold. So. It was probably like, hey, has Rush lost a step? Have they finally alienated all the prog and hard rock fans that they cultivated in the 70s because of all this techno stuff? But then they put this album out, and I'm sure they didn't win any of those tech, those those people over. But the folks who liked this era, this was a great moment in time to capture, look, this is what we were doing. And when you throw in stuff like Territories and Prime Mover and Lock and Key and some of the stuff that you know you, you didn't get on this album, but maybe you got on the Laserdisc of the VHS, I don't know, it's a real testament to where they were at that moment. And then guess what? They were never the same after this. They started moving mm-hmm. stuff out and making yeah. room for more of the power trio again. So that's, yeah, I mean, that that's the the gift and the curse of having a huge catalog. I mean, there are bands that you know they're going to play the same three songs every single time because that's what people are there for. I mean, they could have completely different sets and people would still show up because they have so many songs they can play. So there's always going to be that, oh, they didn't play this and they didn't play that. They're not going to play for four hours. Sorry. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I've seen the Stones, what, eight or nine times over the course of 30 plus years you know they're going to mix up their set, mm-hmm. but there's a few songs right. that they're going to play every single night, <laughs> you know, and and you just got to appreciate those along with the deep cuts. Absolutely. I have to admit it was fun to go back for our 151st show, Jackson's 150th, to do Rush's A Show of Hands. Rush was an important part of our lives when we were living together. His first kind of real big concert we went to together. We mentioned we camped out for tickets on the sidewalk there at the Peaches to get the sweet seats for the Roll the Bones tour when we were living in Orlando. And Rush has been very important to me. Love the band, love their music, seen them more than I've seen any other band. And I hadn't heard this one in a while, certainly not all the way through. So it was fun to go through it with Jackson. I guess I hadn't realized that we hadn't listened to it that much together, that it was really a bigger part of my life after we'd gone to college together but at any rate great showcase of their 80s work i know it's much maligned i know a lot of people don't like those albums or that version of rush but i do i mean it's just part another stage in the career of the greatest trio ever if you don't know a show of hands or you don't know the four albums that led up to it signals grace under pressure power windows and hold your fire i encourage you to check that one out and you can go to our sponsors rarevinyl.com use the code ugly to save yourself 10% off any Rush albums you buy or really anything else that you want to buy. I know they've got some great Rush stuff in there, so check it out. And thank you to Pantheon Pods for making us proud members of the network. Go to PantheonPodcast.com or check us out at Pantheon Pods. But what we really want to know, Rush fans, is do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Do we leave out your favorite part? You have to let us know. I know we covered a lot of information and a couple things I spewed out there were incorrect, so call us on it right? Send us an email. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. And you can let us know the albums, the bands, the concerts, the DVDs, the books, the rock properties that you want to hear us talk about on the show. And we really appreciate you guys sticking around with us for over 150 shows now. Please download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're thinking about it, guys, look, a positive review goes a long way to finding more rock fans like you to help us grow the show, to get more guests on, and do the best show that we possibly can for you. So if you're thinking about that, please go out there and do that. 
And until next time, to all you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and keep doing what you do to keep rock alive. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.